I can't wait for you to put that gun down, because when you do, you and me, me and you, we're going to throw down. That's right, we're going to get serious. Mono a swine. Hey, look, you, just shut your pie hole and keep working. Pie hole? What's that supposed to be, some kind of cracker slang? You guys are a unsigned band, and you broke into the radio station to get your demo played on the air? That's about the Sloan Skinny, have Um, we, we play the tape, would you go? I don't need DJs. Go tell me to shut up now. Uh-huh, uh-huh. See, a brother can't open his mouth without the white man slapping down. You're on the air. Whoa. Am I on the air? Come on, buddy, give me the phone. <laughs> Am I speaking English? What did I just say, dip? Come on, buddy, no way. Shut up, Beaver. <laughs> Welcome to Sweep Delay Podcast. This is your host with the most, Mike Mac Masunas. How's everybody doing today? Doing great. It's good to be back. It's Saturday morning, and uh, it's episode 76. Uh, this is Airheads. This is the second film to win the uh, STL voting challenge. The This is the winner of the Rock and Roll Losers. It was originally Airheads versus Wayne's World, and you guys decided that you wanted to hear some Airheads. Brendan Fraser, Steve Buscemi, and Adam Sandler going to be some good times today i'm excited for this episode and then uh the next episode is actually going to be uh we're postponing the stl voting system because october is the normal stl uh, halloween extravaganza that takes place last year was the whole entire halloween series and this year it's the nightmare on elm street series and then we're throwing in some zombie land in there as well and I'm very pumped up about that. And then, of course, there's going to be some Underground Hour episodes coming to you as well. And uh, some upcoming news on the Underground Hour. I'll go ahead and announce in a little bit. But for now, before we get rolling into Airheads, let's talk some movie and music news. So for the first bit of movie news, got to talk the big one, which is The Dark Knight Rises. And this is the day that the announcement has come out. Now, it was about two days ago that they announced the Blu-ray special edition where you basically get a, a broken 
mask of Batman, kind of like on the original poster where Batman's mask is broke and Bane's walking away. There's a Blu-ray combo that you get where you get that mask and then you get the Blu-ray. But they've officially announced the actual Blu-ray, which, you know, you get the Blu-ray, the DVD, and the Ultraviolet. There's going to be a lot of good stuff, but what's really cool is is the trilogy box set that I saw. It's flippin' sweet. You get Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises. It's called the Dark Knight Trilogy Limited Edition Gift Set. Looks really cool. On the the logo is like half. On the left side, it's Batman Begins logo. In the middle is the Dark Knight logo. And then in the end is the Dark Knight Rises logo. You probably have seen it before. It's the different colors of it, but put together, it looks really cool freaking awesome and uh this gift set is going to be i mean i really wanted even though i own batman begins in the dark knight i just wanted because it looks so cool but i'm definitely gonna buy the uh the limited edition broken mask one but uh, if you wait till 2013 there's gonna be a dark knight trilogy ultimate collector's edition coming out so there's a couple different things you can get you can get just the regular uh blu-ray and you can also get, uh, which the Blu-ray combo packs can be $35.99. You can get the single disc, which would be $28.98. You can get the Bat Cow, the broken, you know, the broken face package Blu-ray combo pack, which would be $39.99. That's what I'm going to get. Then they have the Dark Knight Trilogy, which that's going to be $52.99 on Blu-ray. And then the Dark Knight Trilogy DVD will be $38.99 crap load of features it's going to have all the IMAX stuff all the all the scenes filmed in IMAX are going to be on the Blu-ray just like it was on the Dark Knight so your screen's going to get a lot bigger on your TV it's going to be pretty cool they're going to do some mobile app along with the ultraviolet but it's going to have really cool special features it's going to have the Batmobile documentary which if you remember on the CW they had a Batmobile documentary that's going to be on there so it's an hour long there's an ending of the night uh, which is uh, kind of um, you know, just Christopher Nolan's just, it's kind of like a documentary kind of thing. It's going to be really cool. I'm excited for, it. and then just a bunch of really cool features. So I am very, very pumped for this. And I'm deciding if I want to wait till 2013 or if I want to go ahead and get this broken mask one, but it looks so flipping cool. The broken mask set that I think I'm definitely going to go and, and get this one. I think it'll be really cool. So uh, that is the news for The Dark Knight Rises, and that's going to be hitting us on December 4th. So not too far away from us. It's uh, kind of right around the corner. And in other superhero news, which is kind of obvious, but we all knew that they were making The Amazing Spider-Man 2. In fact, I thought they were actually in the process of making it while Part 1 was already out. But evidently, that's not the case. So Andrew Garfield has been signed to return in Spider-Man 2, obviously. Mark Webb, who is the director, is also confirmed as well to return. And then, of course, Emma Stone is in quote-unquote talks to return as Gwen Stacy. But you know it's going to happen. I mean, if it doesn't happen, there's going to be a serious, serious problem. And I'm going to be not a happy camper if that's the case, if they don't bring her back. So I'm very excited for it. The Amazing Spider-Man was one of my favorite films of the year. Now, I know some of you are a little upset with me because I promised that I was going to review uh, The Amazing Spider-Man, but this was happening during my uh, Batman retrospective. And uh, to be honest with you, I actually kind of ran out of space because, you know, I'm, I'm basically allowed so much a month for uh, for uploading and, and space-wise and all that fun stuff. 
which normally isn't a problem whatsoever. I mean, I definitely have more than enough to take care of me throughout the month, but those particular episodes, you know, I, I kind of did more than I normally do in a month, and the file size were kind of big because, you know, I had Jason, you know, I had some guest stars, I had Jason on there, you know, I did a lot of music stuff. So it was just really big files, and I just didn't have a chance to record The Amazing Spider Man. But uh, at one point, I will definitely do an episode on that. Maybe if we do a Spider-Man retrospective, that will be covered. But anyways, uh, he is signed for part two along with the director. So let's keep our fingers crossed, no doubt about it, that Emma Stone will be coming back because she was amazing. All right, so all you Ninja Turtle lovers out there, um, you know we've been talking about the movie for quite a while, but if you are a fan of the Ninja Turtles, and normally, I guess this would be CCP news, but uh, the cartoon is officially out. Uh, as of today, it's aired on Nickelodeon. So go check it out if you're a fan of the original Turtles and see if you like it. I'm kind of excited in regards to the theme song. They kind of brought that back, which is really cool. And, uh, the, you know, the last time they brought the Turtles back, the theme song was definitely different. And uh, it kind of is a mix between the TMNT, you know, CGI version and kind of 3D. So it looks a little bit weird, but, you know, I'll give it a shot and see how it goes. So go check that out. That's going to be on Nickelodeon. And the last bit of movie news is good old Fast and Furious 6. I am very excited for it. And uh, another character has been confirmed, which I already knew, but was ludicrous. I guess some people didn't know that he was going to be in the film. But if you're a follower of the Facebook page or their Twitter pages, you know uh, especially if you've been watching all the funny jokes that have been going aside, uh, especially on Twitter. It's been some good times. It's been a lot of Tyrese and The Rock fighting, which has been really hilarious videos. Tyrese is challenging The Rock to arm wrestle, and he comes out and chases after him. Uh, there's one video where Tyrese starts to complain about Paul Walker has a bigger trailer than the rest of them, so Tyrese and Ludacris are all complaining, and then um, Paul Walker... Uh, comes out he's like you know what i made this franchise you know you guys are just long for the ride you know stop being punks and he goes into his trailer so tyree starts to go pee on his tree and paul walker comes out with a gun and he starts shooting it and everybody runs off and then the video ends i mean they have a lot of fun i mean they're like a humongous family but Ludacris uh was officially confirmed like two days ago i was like duh i already knew that but I guess the plot is trying to be as hush-hush as possible because in his mind, he actually said, there's no way you can top Fast Five. So he was kind of worried about Fast Six, but as he's been filming Fast Six, he's been very excited about it and knows that they're going to be doing some newer things and it's going to be really awesome. So if he's getting excited and I was the same way, I'm like, you can't top Fast Five. I'm really pumped up. And he said that the plot is actually supposed to be secret, even though there's some theories going around. I mean, the main thing is, is that there's another crew of heist people that are going after the same thing that they're going after. So it's kind of it's going to be kind of like a, a you know good crew versus bad crew kind of thing. But I guess there's more plot to it, which I already know Michelle Rodriguez is going to be in the film. That's been officially confirmed. So those of you who haven't seen Fast Five, spoiler alert: at the end of the credits, she's revealed to be alive. If you don't know this by now, that's your problem. This movie's this movie's been out for a while. You should already know this. So there you go. Michelle Rodriguez is alive. Letty's alive. She's going to be in Fast 6. She's part of the main plot to Fast 6 because Dom finds out his woman's alive. So there you go. Spoiler alert. The movie's two years old. Deal with it. So anyways, that is it for movie news. 
let's move on to some music news. All right, so for music news, now, as you could tell from the way that the show started in the intro of movie music news, I played some Maroon 5 uh, one more night, and I, I'm just a sucker, man. This song is good. When a song is good, it's good. It doesn't matter who the artist is from. And you know how I said I've always had kind of issues with Maroon 5, but how I said that I just really, really like this song. And, man, I finally went out. I finally bought it. And I was like, man, this song is just so good. So it's still number four up on the iTunes chart. So let's talk some different charts we got going on in iTunes currently. So first we're going to ta- we're gonna tackle the top singles, and then we're going to move to another singles chart real quick here. So, uh... Kesha is back. Now, Kesha's been out for a while. Now, Kesha, she's definitely an interesting character. Uh, she she really sings very weird, if you will. She's kind of a mix between um, Lady Gaga, Katy Perry, uh, Nicki Minaj, and I mean, she's just really she's really crazy. But at the same time, she has some crazy lyrics. I mean. She talks about being a cannibal and eating people up and stuff like that, but it's all metaphors, and and she just has some really crazy tunes. So anyway, she's back. Her name of her song is called Die Young. It's pretty interesting. It's it's kind of the old school Kesha that you know, but she's trying to change it up a little bit. And uh, it's currently number three, but number two is the, uh, the regular Taylor Swift that we all know, which is uh, Begin Again. Now... As we all know, uh, We Are Never Getting Back Together is kind of uh, more of a, a pop song from Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift has definitely started off as country, and she's done a very good job, I would say almost better than Shania Twain ever did, of doing country pop. But the We Are Never Getting Back Together is, mo- I mean, there's I can barely hear any country in there whatsoever. So when you hear Begin Again, it's going back to her country roots, no doubt about it. And she's going to be releasing a few tunes before her full-blown album comes out. And uh, it's a good song. I really dig it. I think you will, too. Uh, Go check it out. You can hear a clip. But, of course, uh, Colton Dixon, uh, he has released his single. Uh, It's a pretty good song. It's called Never Gone. I really dig it. You probably have heard it throughout the the movie and music news. Uh, In the background there, that was some Colton Dixon. And uh, it's called Never Gone. It's a good song. I really dig it. And I like Colton, like I said, you know, if you listen to Underground Hour, you heard me play his uh, version of Bad Romance. It's some good stuff. But let's talk about the top albums we got going on this week. Okay, so Mumford and Sons are kind of tearing up. They got two albums that are number one, which is the same album. It's uh, Babel. Uh, one's a deluxe edition and one's a regular edition. But what's surprising is the fact of Pink, her new album, The Truth About Love, She's sitting at number four. You know, usually Pink is number one, uh, but No Doubt also came out with a new album. It's been a while for these guys to come out with a new album. Now, the name of this album is Push and Shove, and it's got a really cool cover. If you go to Walmart, it almost looks like a DVD, but it's actually a CD. It's really crazy looking. I kind of dig it. It's kind of, uh, I don't know, it's just different looking. It's kind of hard to explain. You got to go check it out. And uh, so No Doubt, you know, they've been... They weren't together for quite a long time because Gwen Stefani had a very successful solo career. She had a lot of great tunes. In fact, I think some of her solo stuff was better than the No Doubt stuff. I mean, No Doubt is, you know, no, 
pun intended, no doubt made some good songs. But I do feel Gwen was much uh, kind of like Fergie. I think Fergie does an amazing job solo. I love her solo album. As much as she's really good in Black Eyed Peas, she most definitely kills it as a solo artist. And I wish that she would actually come out with another solo album because her solo album is very tight. It's very... Uh, it's not overproduced. It's just very, very well done. I really enjoy Fergie's solo album. It's done very well. And it's kind of how I feel Gwen Stefani. I thought she did a very good job on her solo album. But, you know, she wanted to go back to the to No Doubt Boys. And it's currently pushing at number seven. Instead of pushing, shoving to number one, it's currently sitting at number seven. So I haven't bought the album. I haven't checked it out. But I was going to say the most disappointing was the fact that Pink was shown at number four. But then I realized that album came out last week. It's No Doubt's album that came out this week, and Pink's was last week. So I guess it's not too bad that she's sitting at number... Okay, wait. Now she's sitting at number three. So something miraculously happened from the few seconds where she was sitting at number four. She's moved to number three, and No Doubt is now number seven. So I guess it depends where you click, and iTunes will determine where you're actually sitting at for real. But anyways, album-wise, for sure... Uh, the Mumford and Sons dudes are the number one album currently this week, so they are kicking some pink and no doubts rear end. So if you are a fan, go check it out. You'll probably be very excited to hear that they're currently number one. So that's it, guys, as far as uh, music charts go. I would say, you know, as far as singles, go check out the Being Again. Uh, the be- not being again. Begin again from Taylor Swift, currently number two, and check out number three's Cash to Die Young. It's kind of odd song, so I think you'll either love it or hate it. But if you like it, I think you, I think you might think it's one of her best tunes that she's come out with in a while. So that's it for music news. Let's get into the review of Airheads. I can't take that tape from you. If it's unsolicited, I can't touch it. It's not easy to break into the music business. But these three guys... What's your secret code? I can't tell you my code. ...just found a way. You guys are a unsigned band, and you broke into the radio station to get your demo played on the air? <laughs> I just feel a little goofy with a water pistol. They don't know it's a water pistol. They think it's real. Oops. Look, all I want to do is be heard, and then we're out of here. <laughs> okay, who are you guys? My name's Pip. The band. The band name. Sorry about that. Oh, man, look at this. The demo's wasted. Well, what are we going to do now? Run! Hello, police. I'm surrounded. I don't want to go to jail. I'm fragile. Everybody on the floor right now. Uh, do, do you mind if I sit in a chair? I, I don't want to get all credit. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, if she doesn't sit on the floor, I don't know why I have to. Sit down! Everybody else gets to sit in a chair except for you. Is everybody okay in there? He wants to know what your demands are for releasing the hostages. What's he mean by hostages? It's the inbreed. We asked for a whole bunch of weird stuff. This way we can plead insanity later. Number 13, naked pictures of B. Arthur. Excuse me? I think you're exceeding your maximum weight limit for that belt. (laughs) (laughs) Jeopardy, have a good time tonight! What are you thinking about? Swimming pools. He doesn't wear a helmet, does he? You guys are crazy, man. Y'all are all It's a plastic gun! A plastic gun! <laughs> now what are you gonna do about that? Junk style? <laughs> Improvised. The Lone Rangers? What's wrong with that? Well, there's three of you. You're not exactly lone. 
you what you're saying right now. Airheads. I cut a deal with them. We got to send one person out. I'll go. One of the hostages, doof. Sorry. The music made them do it.
right airheads. Now, I make no secret about this. I am very, very happy that this movie won the poll. I mean, I do really enjoy Wayne's World. It, it's fun movie. But for me, Airheads is a million times funner than Wayne's World. So I'm very, very happy and excited the fact that this movie won. And, you know, this movie, it's got Brendan Fraser, Adam Sandler, and Steve Buscemi, which I have to admit is one of the earlier films I ever saw of Steve Buscemi and Adam Sandler. I was a big Brendan Fraser fan at the time. Uh, the movie that actually converted me to being a fan surprisingly is school ties and you're like wow school ties which you know you're like that's a you know that's a hardcore drama which has some really good people in that film which i'm going to touch upon in just a little bit but that's actually the first brendan fraser movie i actually watched was school ties and i really flip and enjoyed that movie despite the fact of how uh, kind of hardcore drama wise it is you know it's not it's most definitely not a fun movie so when I found out when I saw this movie I was like wow he can do comedy and he's really funny I was very impressed and I really wasn't too familiar with who Adam Sandler was or Steve Buscemi uh, later on I mean this could possibly be my first Adam Sandler movie in all honesty and I then found you know at that point I was never a big Adam Sandler fan from Saturday Night Live. Uh, there was just something about him that always irked me. But as his movies continued, I became a fan. And now uh, Adam Sandler is one of my all-time favorite comedians. Even though, you know, recently his movies have been kind of going off the deep end, uh, to say the least. I mean, I, I, do, I did enjoy Grown Ups. But, uh, I mean, some of this stuff has been ridiculously crazy. And Steve Buscemi is just, I mean, this guy is flipping great. I mean, I've seen him in a lot of different dramas and I've seen him in comedies. But usually nowadays he's always considered the real dumb, the real crazy guy. You know, the crazy off the rocker guy. Or he is, you know, the complete idiot in the Adam Sandler films. Which is funny in this movie, it's the reverse. Adam Sandler is the... A uh, guy that's picked on from Steve Buscemi, and he's the stupid guy. Versus in all the Adam Sandler movies, Sandler is usually the star, and he's picking on Steve Buscemi because he's an idiot. So it's it's reverse, which is pretty cool. You know, maybe Adam Sandler later said when he got bigger, "Hey, we're gonna reverse what we did in Airheads because I want to pick on you now." You know, something like that. It's kind of funny. But needless to say. Uh, great, great, great stuff. Uh, I'm very excited that this one now, right off the bat, is this the greatest film in the world? By no means is this the greatest film in the world, but this movie is super, super fun. I mean, extremely fun. Uh, I can't express how much fun I had in this movie. I still laugh, uh, at various parts that I was just writing down this movie comes on, I have to watch it. I have to stop whatever I'm doing and I have to watch it because it's just so flippin' funny. This, to me, is just gold comedy. And we have a lot of great cameos in this film. So the movie came out in 1994. And uh, it's, like I said, it's got the three main guys. We got Brendan Fraser as our main guy. He's Chaz. We got Steve Buscemi, uh, which his character's name is Rex. And then Adam Sandler is Pip. So sometimes I, uh, it's kind of hard to remember those two because they fight so much and the names are thrown out. It's like, oh, yeah, which one is which? But, yeah, those two play brothers. And uh, then they have a band. Uh, they're a bunch of rock and roll losers, which is why we had the category rock and roll losers. They have a band called the Lone Rangers. They're like, well, you can't pluralize lone, but that's what they do, so it's cool. 
And uh, they take a radio station hostage because they want to get their song played on the radio, and that's it. And then uh, we also have Joe Mantena, which, uh, I mean, this guy is flipping great. He's an actor, producer, writer, director. Uh, he was actually known uh, for being in The Three Amigos, uh, The Godfather Part 3, Forget Paris, Up Close and Personal. He's currently in the CBS TV show Criminal Minds. He's the special agent, uh, David Roasty. So, I mean, this guy's great. He's the main DJ of the film. We have Michael McKeon, which uh, he makes his return. You know, he was in Short Circuit 2, and he makes his return to STL in this flick. All right, so the plot is pretty simple. Uh, we have Chaz, Rex, and Pip. Um, they're lost. They live in Los Angeles, and they have a rock band called the Lone Rangers. Now these guys are continuously turned down as they try to get their demo tape heard by producers. So what they decide to do is, is they go to their local rock station, which is called KPPX or 103.6, also known as Rebel Radio, which is a pretty cool name. And they want to get their song played on their air. And then after they see how Rebel Radio actually helped another band, which was called the Sons of Thunder, uh, get a record deal. That's kind of their intention. They're like, okay, uh, Rebel Radio got these guys signed. We go down there. We play our single. We'll get signed. End of story. So they break in, actually. Uh, They use like an ATM card and, and use a PIN number and the card gets confiscated. So Rex tries to short circuit the electric lock. Uh, from using like Dr. Pepper or something. It's real funny. But they do actually get in uh, by accident because one of the station employees named Susie comes out for a break, but she actually hits Pip in the face, and uh, they're able to stop the door from shutting by using a book bag. So they go inside, and uh, DJ Ian, a.k.a. The Shark, which is played by uh, Joe, he is uh, he puts them on the air without them knowing about it. And the station manager, Milo, which is Michael McKean, which is a real douchebag, he overhears them and he intervenes. So Milo calls Rex uh, Hollywood Boulevard trash. And he gets mad and Chaz and Rex, they shove these guns in his face. But they're really water pistols. Uh, and they look like Uzis, but they're loaded with pepper sauce. You know, it's back in the day when guns look real, toy guns look real, but of course they're taken off the market because of how real they look. And uh, so they use those fake guns to take over the radio station. They demand to get their song played. So they set up this reel-to-reel for the demo because they didn't have uh, you know, tape or CD. It was the old-school reel-to-reel type stuff. And the tape starts, but it gets destroyed because the reel runs out and it goes in an ashtray, catches on fire, and then beer's thrown on it and the tape's wasted. It's hilarious. So the guys try to run, but they soon realize that they're actually surrounded by cops because the station's accountant, Doug Beach, called the police and had the building surrounded. Plus, they were also on the air as well the whole entire time. They soon realized that you know they got to take um, they got to take hostages and begin negotiations with the police. And during the crisis, uh, you find out that Milo actually signed a deal to change the Rebel Radio to soft, easy listening. Which, of course, uh, Ian finds out that he has to be fired along with the rest of the staff. 
And Ian is just a super cool cat, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But Ian and the rest of the employees, uh, they side with the band eventually, and they turn against Milo. And then there's this guy named Jimmy Wing, who is a record executive who rejected Chaz in the beginning of the film. He is played by Judd Nelson, the ever cool Judd Nelson, for all you 80s lovers out there. And uh, he begins to... uh, you know, come and give the band a recording contract and, you know, which of course he never heard the song, but uh, he signs the band new record contract and has them go on stage to play at the end of the film. But then they realize that they're supposed to lip sync the song and fake playing the instruments. And they kind of realize that uh, they are now owned by the record company. So they refuse to lip sync while the music's playing and they get a round of applause from the audience. They realize that the people love their song and uh, you then, you know, at the as the movie closes, they're in prison, but they're doing uh, their their song live. And Ian is now their manager. And you find out that the Lone Rangers uh, only served a three to six month sentence. And their album Live in Prison goes triple platinum. This is back in the day when we didn't have digital music and you could make one song and sell a billion records. And then the movie's over. So that's the basic plot of the film. Now, I have a ton of stuff that I love about this film. So let's get into it because uh, really the movie had a budget of 11 million bucks, but it only made 5 million. But yet everybody loves this film. Well, how is that? Well, it resulted in a cult status following. Not a lot of people, I guess, understood this film, whatever the case may be. But as time has gone on, this film has created a humongous cult following. The soundtrack is ridiculously awesome. I mean, just phenomenal. I mean, the song, op- the movie starts off with Born to Raise Hell, which is a song performed by Motorhead, uh, Whitefield Crane, and Ice-T. I mean, it's flipping great. Uh, that's kind of how the movie gets rolling and you kind of immediately know that this is going to be a rock and roll film, obviously, if you didn't know from the cover or whatever the case may be, but you know, it starts off a motorhead and have a nice tea in there. It's pretty cool. The credits are really kind of snazzy. I mean, it's kind of lame at the same time, but it's really cool. It's kind of like an empire records kind of feel to it. It's good stuff, but, uh, we get introduced to, you know, Brendan Fraser. Now, Brendan Fraser, as I said, um, I wasn't used to seeing him with long hair, so it was pretty cool. And I'm 99% sure that this is his real long hair. It isn't like a wig or anything like that, but he looks pretty cool as uh, as a rocker. He definitely pulls it off. But, uh, you know, he goes inside the, uh, the record company, and you immediately know that this isn't the first time that he's been there because you hear the security talking about that guy in the worker outfit is here again and you could just see him sneaking around and he definitely knows his way around the building and then he comes in contact with uh, Judd Nelson and it's flipping awesome now Judd Nelson is flipping awesome if you don't know who this guy is just think the breakfast club uh, I mean he's insane almost fire I mean this guy is flipping great it's awesome to see him I mean Brendan Fraser I, obviously he's the star of this film does great he's super funny uh, he's uh, he's, charima- he's charismatic in this film, which is really cool. I mean, he's definitely not the greatest charismatic character in Hollywood. I think his movies that he really shined in was The Mummy uh, and The Mummy 2. Not The Mummy 3, because that movie sucked. 
But uh, the Mummy One and Two is where he really got to out, you know, kind of outshine himself. He was really good in Blast from the Past. I really enjoyed him in that. But School of Ties, like I said, was the first movie I saw him in. Then and School of Ties is essentially about, you know, he's Jewish and he goes to the school and he doesn't want nobody to know that he's Jewish. And uh, comes, you know, Matt Damon is in the film. Chris O'Donnell is in the film. Ben Affleck is in the film. And Matt Damon is just becomes a real uh, prejudice, and they just really they pick on him and stuff. And uh, what's funny is his girlfriend in uh, School Ties is his girlfriend in this movie, which is Amy Locaine. Now, Amy Locaine, I I really dig her, and she wasn't really in a whole lot of stuff. I mean, probably her most famous performance-wise would no no doubt about it would have to be Crybaby. I mean, Crybaby. If you didn't know, this is the same girl it is. But uh, she was, uh, you know, she's the main love interest to Johnny Depp and Crybaby. And uh, she was, like in, I said, she was in School Ties. She's in Airheads. Um, and uh, she eventually went to do a couple more films, but not a whole lot. Uh, probably, I mean, as far as star-wise, this was it. Crybaby, School Ties, Airheads, as far as the movies that I've seen. But I really enjoyed her. Uh, these two have a very interesting relationship together. You can tell they've been together for a long time. They, they irritate each other. And uh, one minute they're loving and one minute they're hating. And a perfect example of this is when you see them for the first time. And then they get into a fight about how he's living the rock and roll life and she's got to sit behind a desk. And uh, he's like, you know, I wrote this song for you. And she's like, you wrote that song before you even met me. And they get into a fight and she calls him a poser. Which is absolutely hilarious because that's the first thing my wife ever said to me was I was a poser, and and then I called her uh, I called her another choice word that we won't say on the show, and uh, it was definitely an, that was our first interaction together, and then we fell in love. It was all good, but uh, these two are, are great. Um, I I love it because they're constantly going at it this whole entire film. They have a whole crazy I love you I hate you relationship. It's great stuff. But going back to Judd Nelson real quick. You know, he is just, you know, he says, you know, I can't take the tape. It's unsolicited material. He's really a, a big jerk off. And he just, he has this thing called super duper. He's like super duper, you know, sticks his, his thumbs up, which is essentially him trying to tell you to buzz off, you know, get, get, get out of here. I don't want to see you no more. And that will essentially come into play a little bit later. But then we get introduced to Steven Rex. Now, Steve is, uh, is Rex. And like I said, it's kind of the reverse. He's, uh, I, I assume he's the bigger, older brother. Now, he's not crazy in this film. You know, usually Steve Buscemi is the like an Armageddon. He's the guy that goes crazy at the end. Uh, I, there are occasional movies where, you know, like he was a psychiatrist. And I think it's called 21 Days with Sandra Bullock. And he was really good in that. Uh, but, you know, he usually typically will play either... Just somebody real stupid or just real crazy. He just kind of plays just a, a normal, a normal rock and roll guy. And I mean, he has a short fuse, no doubt about it. But he's probably a little bit more stable than uh, Brendan Fraser's character is at times. I mean, for the most part, Brendan Fraser has things together. But the times he doesn't is when uh, Rex has his things together. And then Adam Sandler's character, Pip, I mean, like I said, it's reverse. He's a real dumb person. 
uh, he's not the he, he's the real idiot of the group. And uh, I mean, like I said, I really wasn't a big fan of Adam Sandler at this point. But uh, as things have gone on, then I would go back to this film. I can really appreciate, especially when he goes crazy later on in the film and says, I'm a madman. You know, and that voice that he does when he's saying that is reminiscent of various voices he would do throughout the rest of his movies and stuff. So it's some good stuff. I really enjoy uh, when you get our introduction to these two characters. Now, there's no doubt about it that this movie only works in this time frame. And what do I mean by that is the fact of this is before the digital age. So that was back in the day when you could have a single. Now, keep in mind, this would only be played on the radio. There's no way you could get your hands on it. If you remember this back in the day, the only way you could get your hands on it is if you stuck your tape in the tape recorder and you hit record, but you had no idea when the song was going to come up. I mean, you could call your radio station and say, hey, I want to hear this tune, and you could sit there for four and a half hours before that song's ever played. And then you could like go to the bathroom and come back in your room, and all of a sudden the song's playing, you've already missed like the first 10 seconds, and you'd just be so irritated. And then the sound quality you stuck in your Walkman didn't sound that great either. Well, that's exactly how it was in this time period. It was like your songs played on the radio, and then you couldn't get your hands on the single until after the album came out which i mean this the last time that this happened was in sync's no string attached that's when bye 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 came out that's when you know it was only played on the radio you had the music video everybody just had to get their hands on the song there was no such thing well there was but i mean it was i don't know man if there was there was definitely no itunes at this point but uh, that's when you went out and you bought the album and it sold like a million copies in two days. And it was the, the highest selling record album, uh, you know, fastest selling album ever because it beat Backstreet Boys Millennium from two years prior. And that's the last time this ever happened. We've never had another album be able to do that, uh, which Taylor Swift actually uh, has almost come close to doing that. Nowadays, you uh, release your single, people go out on iTunes, Amazon, buy your single, and then they wait for your album. And the thing is, now as an artist, you have to have a good album. Back in the day, you could have one killer song and the rest of your album either be a filler or completely suck, but you could have sold a million records and now you're rich. Nowadays, you're not allowed to do that. You either have to have a good album or you're going to waste away and see you later. You know, it's like you have a good single, great. How's your second single? Because your second single better be even better than your first single. So the, the music rules have changed in 2012. I mean, it's been changing for the past couple of years, but it's really evident now that because of us being able to pick and choose our songs now, you can't do that. So this particular, you know, time period could not be remade today. It just wouldn't work. This was the perfect time when you had one single and you could sell a million records, be platinum. Now you're rich. There you go. So time wise, time wise, this works perfect because of the fact of uh, how this all will play at the end, how they're able to go triple platinum because of this one particular song that they did. But at the same time, when you're in the apartment, uh, you see Captain Crunch. And Captain Crunch looks exactly the same back then as it did now. Because like I said, this movie came out uh, in 
1994. So this really and the whole digital music didn't play take place until at least the early 2000s. You know, maybe mid 2000s is really when the whole digital age took off. Uh, and then of course there's the talk of how Tommy Lee uh, was still with Heather Locklear, which was way before Pamela Anderson, and we know how that whole situation turned out. So like I said, the movie dates itself, but the movie works perfect in the time frame that it's in. Kind of like, uh, kind of as a off the wall example, Grease. Grease works for the time frame that it's in, but you couldn't remake it today because you just couldn't pull off the greasers and that kind of stuff today because it doesn't work. Same thing with this film. It's not like a, a period piece by any means, but it's specifically works in its own time perfectly, if that makes sense. So like trying to remake it, you just couldn't do it. It just the the whole concept would fail tremendously so it's a really good thing there's no plans on remaking this this movie just works as great as it does so like i said i love the whole you know getting to see captain crunch that was cool the whole heather lockler story i definitely laughed at then they show the scene where they're going down to the radio station and you see the receptionist she's playing a handheld sega which is great because i used to have that i can't remember what the name of it was but i i remember having that and it was pretty cool and i just love the whole spitting in you know he's thinking and he sticks in an ATM card and puts in a pin number. It's just going to open it. I mean, that tells you how stupid he is. And then, of course, I love it when, um, you know, Steve Buscemi's character just spits, you know, with the soda, making it think it's going to malfunction, which, of course, it doesn't. And then they get into a fight and start punching each other. And that's when you realize they're brothers because you didn't know earlier at that point that they were brothers. It was after he spits in the soda and they get into a fight. And he's just like, you guys are brothers, shut up, you know, and that's, and Brendan Fraser says that. So, so Susie hitting Pip in the face is hilarious because no doubt about it, Susie is, Susie's a cutie. Uh, you know, I definitely enjoy her character. She's not really, uh, she's supposed to be the typical dumb blonde, if you will. But for the most part, that doesn't come off until the very end of the movie when she's just like, one time I had, uh, my boyfriend, he was a dancer and they stole his shoes. She says some line like that and they all stare at her. But for the most part, she wasn't really the dumb blonde. You just knew that she was kind of a little bit ditzy, but she wasn't completely dumb. So they don't, they kind of save that to the end of the film. But, you know, it's the whole connection between her and Adam Sandler's character, Pip, definitely works in the film. And I like the whole, um, how they, how Brendan Fraser, you know, uses the book bag to hold the door open. That's pretty cool. I mean, obviously, trying to get that on your first try is probably in reality never going to happen. Uh, but it was really cool, though, because, you know, it doesn't look like it was edited to look that way. It looks like it was done in one shot. So they essentially had to keep doing that until they actually got it to work. So, like I said, I like it. It's a, it's a good sneaky way of getting into a, a secure building. So we get introduced to Michael McKeon's character, which is Milo. And here's the thing with Milo. He is just a scoundrel. He's all about money, of course. And he's considered really the bad guy of the film. And, you know, he's just more of uh, just an annoying character is what he is. But annoying as in he's just the kind of person he is. Not like annoying as watching him on screen. Because, you know, I do enjoy Michael McKeon. Um, you know, again, I enjoyed him in Short Circuit 2. I really like him in Light of Day with Joan Jett and Michael J. Fox. You know, um, and then of course he's in Spinal Tap. Uh, I didn't, you know, I, he did a good job in this film. I don't really have any any 
things bad to say about Milo outside of, you know, he played the job well. He he got his character across well as just being the 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 weasel as he's later referred to from Ian that uh, that he is. But there is one person that just annoys me to no end. And that is Michael Richards. I cannot stand this guy. I know I'm going to get some hate for this. I know there's people out there that just love and adore Seinfeld. But I can't stand Michael Richards. He's annoying. I don't find him funny whatsoever. He wasn't even funny in Problem Child. To me, he's the reason. He brings this movie down for me. I can't stand this guy. He's just His character is supposed to be annoying. So I guess he pulled that off. But any scene he's in, I just ugh, roll my eyes. I can't stand this guy. I he has no humor. I don't even know how he got into acting or how this guy is considered to be funny. He's not. I don't get it. So I'm sorry if you guys don't like that, but that's just how I feel about Michael Richards. He's just annoying. But uh, lucky for me, he's not in this film a whole lot. So. The parts that he's in, I just roll my eyes and just say, hey, I only have a couple more seconds and then I get a new scene. So there you go. Now, Ian, on the other hand, this guy is just great. I mean, no doubt about it. Ian is one of the, I mean, he's kind of the backbone of this film. I mean, of course, the three guys are our main stars. But Ian, you know, when you first see him in the studio, he's just kind of got a beer in his hand. And you could tell he's just kind of numb to the whole being a DJ thing. And it's just... He, he's kind of lost his purpose, if you will, and you could just see his his metamorphosis throughout this film. I mean, we all see by the end of the film his him helping the guys and eventually becoming their manager. He's kind of got a, a, a new breath in life, if you will. Uh, so it's really cool. You see his character develop with the rest of the guys, which is really cool. And I really enjoy Ian. He, for me, is the backbone of this film. And I love when the guys walk in and they're like, "We're a band," and he just rolls his eyes and he's just like, "Hey, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get these guys on the mic because for me, this is my time. I better, I better have some fun with this." And you gotta love when the guys say, "Uh oh, I think we're busted," and then Milo comes busting in and. He starts talking smack, and when he calls uh, when he calls Rex trash, and you see his eyes roll up, he goes, "I'm trash," and he pulls up his pulls out his gun. It's like, oh, everything's on, man. It's some good times, and he's just like, "Come on, Chaz, help me out," and he's just going, "Shut your face, shut your face." And uh, the lines, the one-liners in this film are really good. There's a lot of them, and it's really hard to write them all down. But they mostly take place between the guys and just talking to other people are some good stuff. One of the good lines is, so what you're saying is we just play your tape on the air and we'll leave. And then uh, Chaz is like, well, that's what we need, D-Cheese, which you kind of know what that means, obviously, if you are paying attention. And then we get Marcus. I flipping love Marcus. Marcus is hilarious. And Marcus is a is a guy who, who doesn't like the white man, if you will. And he has the greatest lines in this whole entire film. And he's just like being brought down by the white man, you know, always stepping him down. And uh, when Pip goes up to him and says, hey, man, Letty was God. And he, then he, Marcus says, 
take a step back. You're stepping on my D, if <laughs> if you know what I mean. And he's like, why don't why don't black people like me, G? And he goes, don't call me G. And you could just see the frustration. Of he's just ready to just beat him up. And he goes, you know, why don't you shut your? And then Rex says, shut your pie hole. And he turns around. And he goes, shut your shut your pie hole. What's that supposed to mean? Some cracker slang. <laughs> Oh, I love that, man. Marcus is some good times. I love this guy. I really wish they would have uh, made his character uh, bigger. I mean, get rid of Michael Richards character or whatever. But Marcus is just great. I love this guy. He is just great comedy relief, man. He is so flipping good because he's just so angry. So the stuff he says is just priceless. I love Marcus. He's good times. And then you got to love when you hear the band name. When uh, Eon's just like the Lone Rangers, you can't pluralize Lone. Wouldn't it be the three Rangers? And they're like, oh, I don't get it. What, what's your point? You know, to me, I honestly think it's a cool name. You know, it's definitely original, if you will. I dig the Lone Rangers name. Obviously, I know English wise, it's wrong, but I like it. It's cool. It's got a cool, it's got a cool vibe to it. It's good stuff. And then you got to love the tape. The tape plays, you know, and I love the Degenerated song, obviously, because I played it before this review started. Uh, this is this song is great. And what's really cool is I just love the drums and the bass in the beginning and everybody's just kind of just sitting there and then the tape goes crazy. And uh, when it goes in the ashtray. And you see Ian put the beer over it after it catches on fire. He's like, dude, the demo's wasted. And uh, they start yelling at him. And that's when Ian's like, Tonto must have loaded it wrong. (laughs) Ian is great, man. He's just, he says stuff with a straight face. And it's just so good. And they're just like, run, run, you know. And and what I love is when they run, they come in contact with the cop. Now, the cop, see, Adam Sandler has a, a bunch of dudes that he puts in all of his movies. And the cop, when uh, Sandler goes outside and every time he steps, the cop steps, his big movie by himself was in Mama's Boy, which was some good stuff. He's usually, you know, Sandler's right-hand man in pretty much every Adam Sandler movie I've seen. I always see this guy, but he did have his own major role in Mama's Boy, which was a really hilarious scene. Uh, a really not a hilarious scene, but a really good movie. I really enjoyed that, and uh, he's really kind of skinny in this film, and uh, that we don't get to really see him too much after that. We get introduced to a few more characters when we get David Arquette. Now, David Arquette, he's usually known to be crazy, anyways, so he just kind of goes off the off the rocker on this one. Now, the difference between david arquette's character and michael richard's character is is one of them i pay attention to and the other one i don't i don't pay attention to david arquette's character because i know that he's just crazy and obnoxious and he's tolerable versus for me michael richard's character is not tolerable he and he's annoying and just brings it down as i've already talked about before but david arquette doesn't have a whole lot to work with in this film he's just uh he's I guess he's your stoner, if you will, of the film. And then when we switch back to uh, Judd Nelson's character, Jimmy Wing, you kind of see him beating himself up for letting... Uh, you realize he threw Chaz out earlier in the film, and he says the funny line of, if this song is in English, it's a gold record at least, which again points the fact of this is a, a non-digital age, which is pretty cool. And I mean, I love Judd Nelson. He's great. He's not in the film a whole lot, but I always enjoy what 
what he does performance wise in any movie he's in he's usually typically your kind of piece of crap guy character but he's always great i always enjoy what he's going to do with the role and every time he reminds me of a past character he's played he always does something a little bit different to where it it sets everything apart so i really enjoy him and all his scenes that he does he just really pulls off being the real crummy character that he's supposed to be. So I, again, I love Judd Nelson. He's great in this film. Now I love it when the boys decided they're going to take everybody hostage. And uh, Milo says, well, why does she get to sit down? And I just love how Chaz just says, all right, everybody gets to sit down except for you. And you just see his face smiling and not smiling, but he's rolling his eyes and you just kind of see everybody around the table kind of smiling. Cause he doesn't get to sit down. And then we get introduced to good old Ernie Hudson and Chris Farley. Now, this isn't the first time Ernie Hudson's been a cop. He was a cop in The Crow, another movie that I reviewed a little while ago. And this is definitely the first time I've done a Chris Farley film. Now, again, Chris Farley uh, isn't in this film a whole lot. Neither is Ernie Hudson. I think everybody pretty much has the same amount of screen time, if you will, at least the, the secondary characters. Chris Farley's great, no doubt about it. I know Jameson's a humongous fan of Chris Farley, as he would say on uh, CCP. Uh, you know, us big guys got to stick together. And I love Chris Farley. There isn't really a movie he did. Uh, maybe Beverly Hills Ninja is probably the one I didn't like. But, I mean, Tommy Boy, that movie's just priceless. Black Sheep, what'd you do? You know, I just, I love it, man. He's great. He's some good times. It's so unfortunate that he died so young. But uh, Chris Farley's great in this film. Ernie Hudson is good times. You know, he, his character essentially is uh, Sergeant O'Malley. He's really in charge of taking over the whole hostage negotiation thing. And Chris Farley is his right-hand man, Officer Wilson. So um, their whole scenes, any scene they're in is just priceless, good times, a lot of funny uh, comedy relief. So I really enjoy these two. They do, they do a fantastic job together. Now, you got to love it when they don't realize that they have hostages. When Ian's like, what are you going to do with the hostages? He goes, I hate to tell you this, but what you're doing is a felony. And uh, you, you got to tell them your demands. And uh, Adam Sandler just says, I don't want do I don't want anything. I just don't want to go outside, which is just hilarious. And then, of course, Ian is trying to talk to uh, Chaz and just say, look, you know, you came here to get your song played. The demo's wasted. You have hostages. What are you going to do? You know, and he just looks at him like, you're going to let us go because you have no other options. And then Chaz is just like, you're right. Get the other copy of the demo. And then Ian's like, oh my gosh, what did I just do? I just made things worse, which this is when the party starts to really get rocking in the film. When uh, Chaz shows uh, Ernie Hudson the picture of her and uh, it's just a picture of her basically rear end with her smiling and he's just like, she's a looker. And then you just see Brendan Fraser say, yeah, I know that's why I'm with her. Uh, That was hilarious, of course. Now, of course, uh, good old Officer O'Malley or Sergeant O'Malley wants them to, you know, I'll give you your ransom demands, but, you know, in good faith, you got to give up one of the hostages. So you got to love it when they go back in and just say, we have to send out one of the hostages. And that's when uh, good old Pip says, I'll go. And then Rex is just like, one of the hostages, doof. I mean, again, Adam Sandler got to be, he's just so stupid. It's ridiculous. Now, one of the best scenes, though, between Rex and Pip is when they let they let one of the hostages go and 
he starts saying how, man, you can't be attached to these people. You need to be tough. So Rex is trying to show Pip, you know, talk nasty. He's like, get over there, please. He goes, come on, man, tough, tough. And he goes, I'm going to cut your head off, you know. And then, of course, it gets vulgar. And uh, he starts to scream. And he's like, because I'm a man, man. And, you know, he does like the voice he did in like uh, Billy Madison and, and stuff like that. And I just love it when he walks away. You could, I don't know if it was improv. It, it almost felt like it because he's like, man, that hurt my throat man it was some good stuff i really enjoy that scene it was kind of uh big brother to little brother kind of love but of course the rest of the film he's not you know he doesn't really learn anything from this because he's still nice to everybody which is again it's just a funny scene now i love the whole uh kind of montage when they're like look we already got everybody hostage we're kind of running this joint so why don't we play some good music and i really dig how milo is or not milo but ian you know milo is just disgusted this whole situation they got him tied to a chair but ian's just rocking out man with the guys they're all grabbing cds and they're all going around just jamming rocking to some tunes and you just see ian jamming along with them it's like you know he's really loosening up and realizing that these guys these guys aren't so bad and it's just really really cool i i really dig that whole kind of it's a small montage scene but i really dig it but in the meantime while all this is going on they show you the tape which uh you know essentially kayla takes the tape she's listening to it in her car and she gets upset and throws it out of of the car and it's sitting in the street now this part really becomes unreal is unrealistic because if you're kicking around a tape okay maybe your tape's gonna play uh but if you have a car jumping on top of the tape or you have a dog pee all over it it's not gonna play okay i remember i'll never forget this i went out and i bought the ghostbusters 2 soundtrack right and i didn't have a cd player because those things were flipping expensive man you know i had to walk man okay so i go home and i have the ghostbusters 2 soundtrack i can't wait to hear this right so i stick it in my walkman and what does it do it completely tears apart inside my Walkman. And I was like, what the heck is going on? So I bring it back to the store and they tell me that when you take a tape out, you have to wind it up. And I know you people out there that listen to tapes remember this. You had to tighten up your tape before you played it for the very first time. You remember that? You know, you don't have to do that crap with CDs or MP3s or anything, but wait, cassette tapes, you had if you tighten it and made it tight the first time you took it out of the package, the tape worked and it never got eaten. So, I mean, these tapes are definitely not made to be the most uh, impactful, if you will, of, against damage. So that's the most unrealistic part of this film is the whole tape, how the tape survived and was able to play good quality music when they finally got it back to the radio station later on in the film. But again, it's it, it's just a fun, dumb movie. So I go along with it because I'm having so much fun as it is. I'm not letting it bother me. And then we come to my favorite scene of the whole entire film. And that's when the people are calling in scene. Now, a little bit earlier, Chaz was swearing on the radio and Milo's like, you can't cuss on the air. So they have this one, they have this one guy call in and he goes, you're on the air. And he goes, am I on the air? And he goes, yeah, I just said that you're on the air, a-hole. And then Milo looks at Ian like, you can't say that. And Ian just gives a look like, dude, he's got a gun to my head, but you could tell he's always wanted to swear on the radio so it was like it's kind of just kind of a funny thing 
and you know the guy just talks about other bands and you just hear Chaz just kind of saying those guys kind of suck man and he's like whatever so then the next guys call him we get good old Beavis and Butthead. How awesome is this? I'm a huge Beavis and Butthead fan. I mean, you guys know when Ty ever comes on, we always do the whole Beavis and Butthead kind of jokes and stuff. My wife can do Cornholio perfectly. It's hilarious. She can put the shirt over her head and do the whole teepee for my bung. It's absolutely hilarious. She'd kill me if I if she found out I ever told anybody about that. But uh, it's great. I love it, man. He goes, you're on the air. And I'm nuts. And he's like, whoa. Am I on the air? And he goes, that's what I just said. Kind of like he says the other guy. And then you hear Butthead say, you guys are like the Lone Rangers, right? We saw you play at this place. You guys suck. And then you hear Beavis laughing in the background. And I love it when uh, Rex is just like, come down and say that to my face, you punk. And uh, it's just a hilarious cameo. Obviously, Beavis and Butthead are not real. But it's just hilarious to have them call in to the radio station because we all know that they're like the biggest metalheads there are. And it just really takes it over the top in just... It, like I said, it's just over the top. It's just hilarious. Obviously, that would never happen, but it's funny. It's absolutely, I just, I laugh every time it happens. It's great. And then you have Ian complaining about, you know, how is Pip able to hit on Susie? And that's when you see Chaz saying, it's the quiet cool. You know, chicks dig that. And then you get boom, shalaka, boom, which is, you know, from House of Pain. You know, you see in the car jumping up on top, you know, because it's on hydraulics. So it's jumping on top of the car and you hear boom, shalaka, boom, boom, shalaka, boom. It's good stuff. That's a great tune. And then we get to White Zombie. Now, if you're a White Zombie fan, that's all good and great. I'm happy for you. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that like to listen to these guys. What's my issue with White Zombie? Simply for the fact of Rob Zombie. Rob Zombie sucks. Why does Rob Zombie suck? Because he took the ultimate greatest slasher movie of all time and he pissed all over. That's what he did. He took Michael Myers, Halloween, 1978, John Carpenter's. He made his own and just totally pissed all over. And then he made a part two to it and made it even worse. At that point, he just crapped it down the toilet. So... So Rob Zombie, I know you're listening out there because you definitely like to listen to podcasts. So for me to you, sir, you suck. Thank you very much. All right, so we're enough with the Rob Zombie talk. Anyways, this scene is really cool, though, as you have White Zombie all playing, uh, doing their thing. You have Chris Farley trying to look for Kayla, and he comes in contact with these dudes. And this is absolutely hilarious. These guys are all picking on him, and this guy has a nipple ring. And what does he do? Chris Farley rips it out. He's like, what are you going to do about it, Barney Fife? And he pulls the nipple ring out. And he's like, improvise. Oh, that had to be so painful. But, man, you got to give Chris Farley the props, man, because he wasn't, he was no pushover, which was a good thing because he becomes a pushover in later films. So it's good stuff. Now, they get to the demands that they're, you know, that they want, and they start asking for crazy ridiculous stuff because their thought process is if they ask for the most ridiculous stuff in the world that they complete insanity and not go to jail and one of the things they said is a naked picture of b arthur which b arthur is from the golden girls and you just see officer o'malley or sergeant o'malley just be like seriously you want me to get this stuff i'm not going to be able to find this stuff and they're just like hey look 
you know, we get this stuff or we blow people away. And then you get the whole where they're finding out who um, Chaz really is. And you find out his real name is Chester. But they show you a picture of his yearbook, which is in re- in reality his real high school picture of Brendan Fraser, which I thought was pretty cool. It's awesome that they put that in the film. You got to see what he actually looked like in his high school yearbook. And uh, he looks just like he normally does in regular films. He doesn't have long hair, so it was good stuff. Now, the scene that changes Ian's perspective on Chaz is when uh, when Chaz is showing him the tattoos and, you know, he says, look, I understand, you know, I love, you know, mom or I heart Rhonda, which I, I don't think those are actually on him. I think he was just saying as an example, he goes, but why the Reaper? And that's when he's like, you know, I, I just feel like I have to get this band moving. You know, I got to make something of my life. And Chaz just looks or not Chaz, but Ian just looks at Chaz like I, I really sympathize with this guy and I understand where he's coming from. So he goes up on the radio and he just kind of does like a quick interview and Chaz is kind of saying, why are you putting me on a spot like this? And he's like, look, you're in front of 40,000 people. You know, what are you going to say? And he's like, rock and roll. You know, and then of course everybody goes crazy. It's a really good scene. And then of course Milo says rock and roll. That's what you're going to say. And then Ian has an amazing line. He's like, if the line is too loud, then you're too old. And I mean, it's just, I think it's something along, it's something along those lines. And I flip and love it. It's a great line, man. So then we get another cameo. This one's really cool. This is good old Egon from Ghostbusters, a.k.a. Harold Ramis. And he pretends to be a record executive. And how do you know that he is really a cop? Well, they start to ask him questions about uh, whose side did you take on David Lee Roth or Van Halen? You know, and then they start saying they have the the God question, which turns out to be a trick question. Then, of course, uh, he gets booted out. And then you find out, yeah, he's really a cop because he puts on his badge and stuff like that. And, of course... Chaz gets all upset, goes outside and starts. At first, I was like, this scene could not humanly possibly happen. And that's because he comes out with the gun and he's all like talking to the crowd. I'm like, they would shoot him in a heartbeat. But I I realized that the cops all had their guns on them. They had the shotguns. They had the snipers on them and everything. And he's like, we got the beers. We got the guns, you know, and he's all pointing it. But I realized that if he's the leader and they have hostages, they're not going to kill him. And that's why he could get away with that. And then he's like, Rodney King, you know, and everybody starts going crazy. And then you hear Marcus Rodney King. What's that supposed to mean? And then, of course, you have Pip say he's that guy. And you just see Marcus look at him like, I just want to smack you across your face. And then uh, Kayla shows up. Now, there's this one guy. Uh, his char- The guy playing him is Marshall Bell, which you'll probably know Marshall Bell from uh, Freddy's De- uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, Stand By Me, Twins, and Total Recall. If you just recently watched Total Recall, he would have been the Quato character. But anyways, he is trying to you know kind of get inside the building. He's working with Michael Richards' character. Eventually, works to get him a gun. And he, you find out that uh, Pip actually slept with his wife, and that's why he's all down and out because he's been divorced and stuff like that. He's kind of a throwaway character. He's not really that great. He doesn't really make the story that much great, but he's just kind of there and. He wants to, like I said, get inside the building, but go around um, Sergeant O'Malley's ways of doing things. But when Kayla shows up to deliver the tape, he kind of holds her and just says, hey, Chester, you know, because he finds out who Chaz really is. And she's like, well, why did he call you that? And that's when you find out that, you know, I used to be a geek. 
you know, I used to play D&D. I ate my boogers and stuff. And everybody's just kind of real quiet. And they're like, oh, wow, this guy was so cool. What happened? And then one guy just kind of says, I used to play D&D too. And everybody gets all excited. And then you have the lead singer Motorhead say, I was the editor of the school magazine, you know, and it's real good stuff. And then people just start to get all happy. And then, uh, you know, you have Rex say, jazz, 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 you know, and everybody starts cheering and stuff. And they get together and they start kissing and everything and everything's all good and then we get to guess what another fight when uh the guys see the tape and they're like what happened this thing you know it's all messed up how am i even gonna play this and uh you took real good care of it yoko is what uh uh what is it's rex rex says that to her and uh she gets all upset like you're gonna let him be disrespectful to me he's like look what you did to my tape how can i not get how can i get mad at him for yelling at you and then they get into a fight and eventually turns into where she throws a chair through to the station soundboard so it blows up the soundboard so now there's no way that this tape can possibly be played on the air so again it's another uh rock they that they got to somehow climb over but uh they start fighting and just essentially have to uh, say i love you to one another and once that happens everything is cream cheese but then we get to the point where uh they realize that they can't play the tape. What are they going to do? Well, then guess what? The real record executive comes to the rescue, which would be, like I said, Judd Nelson, Jimmy Wing. Well, here's the thing. Chaz thinks that uh, he's heard the demo, you know, because at first he's like, well, of course I knew you were going to show up. And he's like, I got a record contract for you. And that's when Milo's like, look, you need to get my services. But what's really cool during this scene is the fact of Chaz is relying on on Ian. He's just like, what do you think, Ian? And because Ian says, you know, you need to you need to be careful is what he tells him. He's like, you know, what do you think, Ian? He goes, well, you know, uh, they usually require 10 percent, but give this, you know, this snake in the grass 5 percent. And, you know, of course, he takes it. And what's what's just awesome is when they're trying to find a tape deck and uh, Rex says to Pip, he's like, did you bring the tape deck? He goes, oh, we need that. He's like, give me your arm. And he sticks uh, he sticks pliers and he's like, go get the tape deck, you moron. And so so Chaz is just kind of chilling, waiting. And, and all of a sudden the guys show up uh, and that would be Milo and Jimmy. And they're like, we got a record contract for you. So Chaz is all excited. And, you know, his woman's all excited and he's going to sign in. And all of a sudden Pip walks in with the tape deck. They're like, wait a second. You two didn't hear uh, the demo. He goes, no. He goes, D-. and then Jimmy's like, it's not, it, I don't have to hear it. It's just the way you describe it. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is this BS that I'm hearing? And, you know, they start to talk. And essentially he's like, you know what? I think your record contract. And he puts it. And uh, and you just see Ian. He's like, wipes his ass with his record contract. I love this guy. I mean, that is probably my second favorite scene of the film is that whole contract scene and having Eon say that. That's when Eon's just like, yes, I am so on this guy's side. How awesome is this guy? Now, I was kind of with Rex on this scene because I was just like, okay, why do you have to stay with Palatine Records? Because of the fact of, you know, he says, well, why do we need to why do we need to go with Palantine Records because we'll just play the the demo and people will just be lining up to give us a record deal and that's when uh Chaz says, "Well, the tape the soundboard is fried. Nobody's going to hear it. It's either this or nothing." And then you hear, you know, Jimmy like super duper we're making records. And then of course that's when he gets his uh 
his dues to bring out a stage because you know he promises them that they're not going to have any jail time or anything like that so he's just the the good old manipulator that he is of just let them know everything's going to be cool calm and collective so then they get out and what's cool is you get a cameo by kurt loader of mtv and he's like wait the low rangers you can't is that right you can't pluralize loan and then i really dig the ending of this this is really good stuff you know, Jimmy's just like, you got to keep the gun on us, make everybody, you know, this only works if they think that you are, if we're being held hostage, but how can you hold somebody hostage if you have a guitar in your hand and your other guy has a bass in his hand and the other guy has drums? It doesn't work. You know, it's kind of dumb in that aspect. But again, we're so far into the film, you just kind of go along with it. But then you get to see the real motives because they want to play live. But Jimmy's telling them that we're shooting a music video. We're going to make tons of money off this. You just lip sync. And that's when Chaz is like, you know what? You don't even really care what we sound like. It could be, you know, Pip snarting on a fart on a, on a snare drum for all you care. And then you see Pip. I'm not farting on no snare drum, man. And that's when he's like, listen, dirtbag, do what you're told and shut your mouth. And that's when, you know, you got the demo playing, it's it's rocking and stuff. And what do they do? They flip in, don't play. They just throw their guitar down and they just cross their hands and he's getting all mad. What are you doing? You know, I own you. I own you. You you hear that in the background. And uh, then it gets real wild and crazy and uh, people realize that the song is good. Now, I was a little bit confused because I was like, okay, um, they, they showed them in jail, right? They're playing live, and you see that Eon is their manager, and he's just saying how, okay, you know, they'll get out in six months, three if they've got good behavior. So I realized they're not with Palatine Records because after this whole situation, they would have got signed to somebody else that they wanted to go with, and then they had Ian as their manager, and then that's how they went ahead and sold uh, they sold the records based on their publicity that they had and then also the single as well. So they don't stay with Palatine Records. That's not actually said, but you can definitely tell because of the ending based on this that they would not stay with them if based on everything that they did. They obviously signed with somebody else. Now, what I love about this whole end sequence here is the fact of this is really Brendan Fraser singing. And here's what I really dig about this is the fact of he doesn't really have a great singing voice, but it still sounds cool at the same time. You know what I mean? I mean, you can clearly tell that this is Brendan Fraser's voice. Clearly. I mean, you'd be an idiot to think otherwise. And if you seriously have your doubts and thinking this is not Brendan Fraser, go look it up online. It even says it's him singing, okay? But what I really dig is the fact of he sounds pretty bad, but he sounds awesome at the same time. And... The drumming is pretty flipping cool because Adam Sandler, you know, me being a drummer, I can tell when somebody's faking it in a movie and when they're really playing for real. And he was actually doing a good job playing the drums. So he was really doing good, except the very last shot that did not match up sound quality. But he was playing the drums, but he was he was doing the role. And in the, in the end of the song, it wasn't doing that. But otherwise, it was some pretty good stuff. I definitely dig the ending of it. I just really enjoy this song. And uh, at least the song built up to be everything it was meant to be in the movie. So that is it for the review overall. For the movie, what is my rating? I would definitely say three and a half stars. A, a strong three and a half stars. It's not, you know, it's just a fun, dumb movie. It's not supposed to change the world. It's not supposed to be an epic movie that you got to think about. It's just to sit back, have fun, and just have some laughs. It's a really good comedy. It's a really solid comedy. Uh, it's a very strong three and a half stars. I 
really, really, I mean, this is one comedy that if it's on, I have to sit down and watch. But it's not life-changing. I mean, obviously, there's stuff that clearly, mistake-wise, could just never happen. I mean, with the whole tape situation, uh, there's no way that that tape would seriously play. I mean, no way. I mean, that tape would have had to been just had a miracle done to it for it to play. But like I said, it's just big, dumb fun. That's what this movie is. It's, I mean, the name of the title is Airheads. It's kind of off-the-wall rocker. You got Beavis and Butthead making their cameos. But just a great cameo. Just a great fun flick. So strong three and a half stars. I highly recommend this film. Go check it out. Go buy it because you will sit back and... And watch this movie more often than you think you will. So that's it for the review. Let's get into the emails and hear what our STL Nation had to say. All right, our first email comes from Sebastian Internationalist, and uh, he said, Airheads, uh, 3.5 stars, funny, uh, yes, uh, good music, check, uh, good cast, double check, my enjoyment through the roof. Uh, the words, 4.5 out of 5 stars, good cast, good use of frame narrative, but near end got a bit conclusive. Uh, the story within the story within the story is depressing because all the bad things that happened to the sky. Uh, New Jack City, a week, week three out of five stars. The story is solid and the cast is good, but the direction acting is bad. Uh, Ice-T was the best part. Dread 3D, uh, 4.25 stars. An action movie that plays with uh, a genre. Uh, Henley does repeat performances of villainous. Or, or Heedy does repeat performance as villainous, but it works well here. Another good performance from Carl Urban. Uh, even if we only see part of his face, the 3D worked rather well here. More while in slow motion, highly recommend. And then uh, he also has a review for um, uh, Jason's favorite film of all time, uh, which would be um, see, uh, Rear Window. And uh, he goes on to say... Um, 4.5 stars, great cast, wonderful direction, somewhat poor use of Jimmy Stewart, and a good mystery, which, watch what you say, sir, you might get uh, beat down. Not seeing this first, the uh, basic plot is uh, spoiled silly, but the elements are placed perfectly that I am enjoying the ride all the way through. Not a strike against the film, but why is it that Hollywood depicts journalists as workaholics who have no time for family or friends? It's evident here. But it's a character development. Uh, Double Indemnity, a solid four and a quarter out of five stars. The story is fresh in a sense that it uh, that the lead isn't a gumshoe detective. After watching this, I wanted to watch more film noir. So thank you, Sebastian, for writing in. Always a good time. And uh, the next one comes from uh, my partner in crime over at uh, Changing Channels Podcast, uh, good old Jameson, the uh, STL self-proclaimed legend. He goes on to say, Mr. Masunas, I thought I'd write in a quick note on Airheads. I This movie is one of the stupidest movies I love. It's a great look at a band desperate to get someone to play their single and get signed. Such, uh, it's such an odd mix of characters throughout 
is what makes it so enjoyable. Brendan Fraser is great as Chaz, the charismatic lead singer who just wants to be a rock star. Steve Buscemi is inspired casting against type and Sandler was still in his prime of being Sandler. I love every little bit character and cameo in this film, especially of course Chris Farley. This by no means this is by no means a great film, but it is a blast all the way through with the soundtrack that drives it forward the whole time it still holds up as a great mindless comedy and i enjoy it love i loved flight of the navigator great job on that i got my kids into it over the summer and they loved it lots of fun i look forward to your upcoming episodes keep it up jameson the self-proclaimed stl legend which uh, thank you sir for the fly the navigator love i uh, would have loved to have you on there but i know duty calls and sometimes things don't work out but uh i definitely had fun on that and uh i'm very i'm looking forward to our zombie land episode sir as we sit on changing channels i think it's going to be epic and it's just going to be mind-blowing the downloads on that one uh so thanks again for writing in sir always a good time and our next email comes from elizabeth bullington and i have your nickname for you hopefully you'll think it's cool uh elizabeth the theater geek bullington hopefully you like that uh, you know, you'll understand why I went ahead and called you that. And if you don't dig it, let me know. I can change it. But I thought that kind of fit perfectly. So here is what uh, uh, the the theater geek had to say. She says, hello, Masunis. I really love this movie. Uh, watching uh, all these metalheads trying to get a record deal uh, with Brendan Fraser playing Chaz, who's sexy, by the way. Laugh out loud. And Steve Buscemi playing Rex, who's a really uh, who's a very good actor and watched his famous role in Fargo, where he played Carl uh, Showaller. And now he has a new TV show, which I just noticed as well, uh, Boardwalk Empire. Uh, he's pl- he plays Nucky, which uh, getting which is getting awesome in this new season. And last but not least, Adam Sandler playing uh, Pip, which another good actor, but uh, he's been doing stupid roles like Jack and Jill, which I I agree with. Grown ups, why doesn't he go back to good roles like he did in Billy Madison and Little Nicky and Mr. Deeds? Uh, and Big Daddy, which is funny you like Little Nicky because that is the one movie I, I do not like. Um, Little Nicky, I don't know. I just have a lot of issues with that movie. I dig the soundtrack, though. I mean, I love me some P.O.D. School of Hard Knocks. It's good times. I mean, it's occasional fun, but, I mean, it's probably one of my least favorite Adam Sandler movies. I mean, outside of, like, the real terrible stuff like Jack and Jill and stuff. And I, I don't think really, I mean, he can... I don't think he can do those kind of movies anymore. He's kind of done all that he's wanted to do. I think now he just kind of takes roles just for the heck of it. But I do actually like Grown Ups. And then she says, like, uh, Big Daddy, which I love Big Daddy. For me, my favorite Adam Sandler movie is 50 First Dates. That's my that's my all-time favorite. I love that, love, love, love that movie. And probably my second would be The Wedding Singer. So... Love that. It's good stuff. And uh, he's even great in serious, uh, serious roles like Funny People, which I only seen part of that, and Spanglish and uh, Punch Drunk Love, which I still haven't. I still need to check out. Uh, it just makes me sad that he's doing these stupid movies when he can just be doing something great, which I agree with you 100%. But anyways, this movie was awesome. I loved every character in it, even Kayla, but she can be... Uh, um, she says the word uh, itch, 
but the other version of that. So I'm not going to say that. And then she goes on to say, even the ass Milo, which uh, he's a great bad guy, but can you really call him a bad guy? I rate this movie a five. I really love this movie. Uh, I watch it every time when it's on TV. Uh, Keep doing the good work, Elizabeth. So thank you so much for writing in uh, so much. It's good, uh, good to hear from you. I'm glad you're continuing on writing in. I mean, fun factor wise, it's most definitely... Uh, just if you're just having mindless, you know, fun with it, it most definitely could be considered, you know, just five star fun. Uh, you know, I was just trying to look at it as just an overall movie. You know, I would definitely say three and a half, but I can, I, I can't argue with you for you calling it a five if you're just having it related to just a, a great mindless fun movie. So thank you so much for writing in. And our last email comes from Anthony, that big emailer, uh, which he hasn't wrote in a while. So here is what he had to say. Hello there, Masunas. I'm really glad that the movie Airheads was voted over Wayne's World. Nothing against it, but I was never a fan of the Wayne's World movies. Don't care much about the movies that that came from Saturday Night Live skits, uh, Coneheads being the only exception, which I hate Coneheads, so that's kind of funny. And uh, Fraser Buscemi and Sandler did a good job in being the lovable idiots, as you couldn't help but side with them on what they were trying to do. Also, the other characters were great, as they did what they were meant to do, particularly like the studio, the studio DJ, uh, Sergeant O'Malley and Officer Wilson. Now, uh, not saying that uh, this is an quote-unquote all-time great movie, but uh, there's definitely—I mean, there's definitely problems with it. But if you're willing to look past them, I believe you will really enjoy it, which I highly agree with you, sir. He goes on to say that uh, I'm going to give this movie borderline three out of five. Haven't seen it before. Check out and give it another watch if. It's been a while. So I, I think what he's trying to say is it's been a while since he's checked it out. So just going off memory, he's given it a three out of five. And that is it for my email. Sorry if it's a bit shorter to the previous ones. Until next time, I email. See ya. So thank you, everybody, for writing in. Uh, always a great time to hear from everybody. Some good stuff. So that is it. Let's go ahead and move on to the music spotlight. All right, so for the music spotlight today, I got a pretty fun one for you. You know, it kind of goes along with this movie, the whole Chaz and Kayla fighting with one another, uh, just kind of uh, hating each other, loving each other. Uh, This particular song I was actually going to play a couple weeks ago during the summer music spotlight, but I just never got around to it. And I thought that this time it fits pretty well. So the name of this song is called High Maintenance. Now, the way it's sung, though, is sung very differently. So when you hear the words high maintenance going forward, you're going to hear it a little bit differently because it's sung pretty cool the way that they sing it. And it's essentially a song by Miranda Cosgrove. Now, all you guys out there that have kids, you probably know her from iCarly. Um, You know, she's definitely on, uh, I think it's Nickelodeon all the time. And she's released music before. And it's some really good stuff. Uh, It surprises me how good it actually is. But this song is from her newest EP called High Maintenance. And this song has an Australian guy in it. And it's essentially a story between these two, how she is saying how uh, she's crazy and how 
do you consider me to be high maintenance because, you know, I took your car out for a ride and I crashed in and I'm expecting you to fix it. You know, I get up late at night, you know, you're sleeping during the day. And the the singer, the guy is called uh, Rivers uh, Kumio and he's Australian. He's got a really cool accent and he's basically singing back to her how she's high maintenance. And she's like, no, no, I'm not high maintenance, whatever. So it's like these two are fighting in the song, but it's got a really catchy tune to it. And it's just a really good, happy feely pop rock and song it's really good stuff and like i said i've been wanting to play it for a while i just never got around to it and this song kind of fits with this movie so that's the music spotlight will be uh, miranda cosgrove high maintenance so check it out it's gonna be some good times and then uh, don't forget to get your emails in for the next episode. Uh, the next episode is the beginning of October. So it's starting the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Now, here is what we're going to do because there's so many flipping movies. And I've already touched on this before, but just in case you forgot and kind of need a refresher, we're essentially going to break this up into three uh, episodes. Uh, the first one is going to be the worst of the series because I might as well, as Anthony put it, since the movies got worse, you might as well end the series on your favorites. So I'm so I'm doing three movies per episode. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on each movie. Just kind of briefly talk about each movie and you know what's what's uh, you know what's if there's any good parts about it what what's great you know as the episodes continue the episodes will get better because there's more fun stuff to talk about but the worst of the series is definitely part two uh nightmare on elm street part two freddy's revenge the next one would be nightmare on elm street five the dream child and then the nightmare on elm street uh remake with uh, not Robert England as Freddy Krueger. So send in your emails on those three flicks. We're going to handle the worst of the series first. And then the second episode will be the uh, the second best of the series. But for now, we're just dealing with the worst. So send in your emails on those three flicks. Be on the lookout for a new Underground Hour episode. Going to be coming to you any day now. And uh, something that was suggested to me, uh, surprisingly, this has gone over very, very well. I was actually shocked at how well it's gone over. I actually had one fan tell me they can handle me doing these Underground Hour episodes uh, and I could actually stop doing the movie reviews and they would be cool with that, which I'm not going to. But it was just it was a nice thing to hear. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. But uh, what I'm going to do is, as a suggestion, uh, which I like the idea, but I'm not going to do it every episode, just once in a while, is take a specific artist and let's say like a high profile artist. And I'm going to do like my top five favorite tunes from that particular artist and then have uh, some and then have people email in what their five favorite tunes are from that art. So let's just say, for example, the episode is dedicated to uh, Michael Jackson, or it's dedicated to you know Aerosmith, or you know Guns and Roses, whatever the case may be. Uh, I would pick my five favorite tunes from that particular artist, play them, and then. Uh, get all your emails in and hear what are your favorites and you know it'll, it'll be fun uh, but that won't start for a little while I still have all these episodes already done for ones that are going to be coming out to you so expect that in the near future uh, the first one will be on Aerosmith because I love Aerosmith and they have an amazing set of songs to choose from so it'll be really difficult for me to choose five so that's going to be the first artist that I would profile and I've always wanted to profile an artist on STL I just never 
got around to it. So this is the perfect opportunity to do it. So that's why I easily said, yeah, I like the suggestion because it's something I've always wanted to do. I just never got around to it. So that will be Aerosmith. But I'll let you know when that one's going to be coming so you can send in your emails for your top five favorite Aerosmith tunes. So don't forget to go to uh, Facebook if you don't like the page already, www.facebook.com slash sweep delay podcast. Don't forget Twitter, STL podcast. And don't forget the Facebook group, the STL Nation. Just look it up. Come join the fun with us. Don't forget to go over to iTunes. Please rate the show or leave a review. That would be great. Don't forget to check out the other shows. Changing Channels podcast. Jameson and I just finished 21 Jump Street. We put it up. We had a blast. It was some good times. And our next episode is going to be on Thundercats, uh, the old and the new. So send in your emails for that. It's going to be fun. Don't forget to check out my buddy's podcast, Movie Mojo Monthly. It's some good times over there. And he's got a new episode that's going to be hitting the feed any day now. And don't forget to check out uh, some of the other great shows. Uh, don't forget my other show, The Shadowy Flight, uh, currently all about Night Rider. I host that show, which, of course, Jason is the owner of that show. So his shows are Flicks, Film and Focus, Show Me the Winston. And now he's taking over the Crossroads podcast, which is Supernatural, which starts in four days. So be on the lookout for those episodes. Jason and Dan will be handling that. So go check those out. It's going to be some fun times. If you like to hear bad movies being ripped apart, go to Yeah, It's That Bad. Uh, I, I love that podcast. It's absolutely great. It's some good times. And then my uh, one friend, uh, Ryan, uh, who I work with for a long time, he actually started a new podcast. He kind of stole some of my format and stuff. It's called D2R Podcast, the number, the letter D, the number two, and the letter R podcast. Go check it out. Uh, it's not clean or family friendly, but it is funny, especially the entertainment news. They talk about some interesting, funny topics over there. And uh, the sound qualities, uh, it was rough at first, but by episode four, it was all fixed. It sounds so much better. He's got some guest stars on there. He does some interviews. And uh, it's like I said, it's not family friendly or uh, clean by any means, but it's very entertaining if you just want to check out another podcast and you just kind of want to laugh a little bit because he covers everything from uh, entertainment to to politics to uh, jokes to having uh, getting a girl uh, a date with uh, people emailing in and it's just real crazy. So check that out and I will eventually be on that show at the end of the year to do my end of the year review of the year in my 2013 preview. It's going to be some fun times. So that's it for a podcast to check out. And uh, that is about it. I will get a new episode of the underground hour out to you sometime soon, but uh, next week, will be uh, the first episode of the uh, October, you know, the STL Halloween extravaganza, the worst of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. So hopefully I get some emails on that because this is a series that's been asked for me to do for quite some time. So I'm expecting some great emails, especially from Anthony, the epic emailer. He's the one that's pushed this the most. So I expect to hear him email in on all these flicks. It'll be some good times. So that is it, guys. You take care. Masunas out.
Take it out. I went away and left the key to my space. You had a big party, your friend trashed the place. Uh -huh. The neck of my stride. 